0: So I'm Jenny. If you don't know me, I'm married to Chris. He was the guy behind the guitar earlier, and I'm on the leadership team here as well. Um, and this morning is Palm Sunday, isn't it? We're looking ahead to Easter, and at the moment we're in the middle of a short series looking at Jesus's journey to Jerusalem, the final few days of Jesus's life. And my aim this morning is, hopefully, you all want to come on the journey with me, is just to draw us closer to Jesus, just to refresh our memory on why we worship Jesus and draw us closer to him in deeper relationship. I'm still being pointed at. What do you want me to do? Go out. Fantastic. I'm quieter. That's good. And be drawn deeper into relationship with him. Uh, that's my aim for this morning. I hope it's yours. So um, I just wanted, as a way of introduction, before we read this passage, to set a little bit of context and a little bit of um, Uh, kind of uh, get us into the mindset of the people at the time that Jesus was physically here on earth. And I, um, so I alluded to it last week, but it's so easy, isn't it, to put on our, just without realising our Western mindset, our kind of modern mindset and not think about the perspective of the people at this time, especially the Jews. So the Jews here, God's chosen people for hundreds of years have been living, waiting for God to speak God had spoken to them over generations and generations of this Messiah that they were to expect. Many of them were expecting, as Sai said, this victorious king that would come, that would lead them into battle. Many of them were expecting that the temple in Jerusalem was going to become the center of worship when that happened, as Sai said. And they're expecting this victorious king. There'd been silence since the end of the Old Testament for hundreds of years, and they were waiting in anticipation. Not only that, the Jews would have been, as we are um, in the world today, approaching Passover, which many of us will know as a, a festival, a celebration of God bringing his people out of Israel. And if you don't know, they would ce- um, celebrate that because God rescued them from slavery in Egypt. They were oppressed by the Egyptians. He brought them out. He rescued them. He provided for them. He established them as a nation, as his chosen people. And yet, they were sat there 1,500 years later, still anticipating God to come and rescue them to bring this Messiah. So that's just a bit of context to the passage. If you've got your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to Luke. We're reading from Luke chapter 19, from 28 to 44. And if you haven't got your Bible, it should, perfect, appear behind me. So Luke 19, 28 to 44. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that they would seen. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Right, now this point in Jesus' life, it was a few days before his death, but for the last few years of his ministry, he'd been raising the dead Healing the sick, forgiving people's sins, loving sinners, and casting out demons and befriending the very lowest in society that others wouldn't go near. He brought in these totally radical kingdom values that transformed the world and still are transforming the world and have transformed many of our lives here today. So it's worth pointing out that Jesus had a lot of followers at this point, but actually he had made a lot of enemies there were lots of people the religious leaders such as the Pharisees and the Sadducees we knew were not happy with his claims people wanted him arrested and they wanted him killed and we know in Luke 13:31 that even king Herod wants to kill him and yet here comes Jesus he doesn't sneak in through a side alleyway he doesn't hide There were for a number of years in his ministry, you um, can read through the Gospels, that he silenced people that tried to declare who he was and they realized it. He silenced demons when they tried to declare that he was the son of God. And yet here he is now making this huge visual gesture entering into the city. He's declaring in the last few days of his life that actually his time has indeed now come. He's demonstrating exactly who he is as the son of God. The Jews in the crowd at the time watching on, and Jesus himself knew that he was fulfilling here the prophetic words of Zechariah nine nine which are rejoice greatly, daughter Zion, shout, daughter Jerusalem, see your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, riding lowly and riding on a donkey, on the colt, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So this morning, just to help us um, uh, spend some time looking at who Jesus is, I want to use three of the main characters from that account. I want to look at the cult, the donkey, I want to look at the Pharisees, and I want to look at the disciples, their responses to Jesus. So let's start with the cult, the donkey. So Luke doesn't specify that it is a donkey in this passage but actually when we read the same accounts in Matthew and John we realize it's a, a donkey or not a horse colt a donkey or an ass so it was a donkey exactly I'm not going to use the word <laughs> I'm not going to use the word ass because when I do my husband giggles like a little boy so we're going to go for donkey it's far more appropriate And actually donkeys get a bit of a bad rep don't they I just think I don't know what you think of when you think of a donkey anyone got any ideas Shrek. Shrek, yeah. So the annoying donkey and Shrek. the kind of slightly useless, quite funny, but it doesn't really achieve much sidekick. Or they're just seen as really lowly animals, aren't they? Think of Mary and Joseph. Um, you kind of get those Christmas card images of the big donkey waddling along with a very... Sea. Now, I chose this picture because Joseph for some reason, is more pregnant than Mary. <laughs> and it really made me laugh. But definitely Mary was pregnant, not, Jesus, not Joseph. That would also have been a miracle, but not uh, the miracle that we're talking about. Um, so the sort of lowly donkey waddling along. And actually, in this culture, donkeys were not seen as those lowly animals that we dismiss them as today. They were seen as noble creatures. So this donkey, we read in the passage, had never been ridden before, He was a symbol of purity, and he was set aside on a significant mission for Jesus here. And actually, this donkey in the passage does really well, doesn't he? He's never been ridden. He gets ridden by Jesus into crowds. He doesn't kick him off. He doesn't freak out. He seems to do quite well, so I think he's an unsung hero. But actually, the point of the donkey is to be seen as a sign of peace. Donkeys in this culture were a symbol of peace. If a king was riding into battle, into war, he would ride on a horse. But if a person of nobility wanted to bring a message of peace, they would ride in on a donkey. So Jesus comes here riding in on a donkey as a symbol and an invitation of peace. He did that to the disciples, to the Pharisees, to the people in the city of Jerusalem. And he does that for us today too. He doesn't come to wage war like, the lead, like a military leader, like people expected. But he came to bring peace and peace on earth. We looked at the word shalom over Christmas. I don't know if you remember. And actually we talked about Jesus bringing shalom. He brings a wholeness and a fullness of life when we come into relationship with him. He wants to restore and reconcile us to God. He wants our lives to be ones of fullness, and he wants our lives to be ones in total relationship with Jesus, with him. So in verse 44, we read that Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem. He declared that if you only knew, only knew I'm going to start again, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but it now is hidden from your eyes. So Jesus is offering peace and restoration in that plea. And as it's, it's one of his very final pleas as he approaches the last few days of his life. It's not him calling out, having a bit of a sad moment. He is despairing. He is weeping over his people. He's weeping for the Jews in desperation to turn back to him, to see his invitation of peace, to see him as he really is to call them into relationship and restoration with God. And obviously many of them would have, but some were choosing not to. The Jews at this time and the people in Jerusalem would have had no idea that the whole city within a generation was going to fall and that the temple was going to be displayed, uh, destroyed. But actually Jesus was never going to be contained to one temple, never contained to one holy city. His majesty was to be displayed through the whole earth. And that is part of our mission today, isn't it? That's why we are here. We're to be caught up in that. Actually, most of us, I imagine, if not all of us, are not ethnically Jewish this morning, but we're only here because of the grace of Jesus. We're welcomed into God's promise to Abraham and the fulfillment of that promise that all nations will be blessed through his seed, which is Jesus Christ. That started with Israel, and now because of Jesus, it's an invitation to all of us to who believe in him. Jesus came to be the saviour of the whole world. Secondly, I'd like to look at the Pharisees. And actually, as you read through the Gospels, you get a really mixed picture of the Pharisees, don't you? It's very easy to paint the Pharisees as the baddies of the story because we like goodies and baddies. And actually, I was thinking about it the other day. I thought, it's a little bit like Darth Vader. My kids are four, my boys are four, and they love Star Wars. And they love to know who is the goodie, who's the daddy, uh, the baddie. They're like... (laughs) mum. They're like, mummy, is he the bad guy? Is he the bad guy? He the good guy? Actually, it's not that straightforward, is it? Not that straightforward with Darth. He starts off all right, doesn't he? And he ends off all right. It's just the really bad stuff that Darth Vader does in the middle that... We're not okay with. But anyway, the Pharisees, it's not as black and white as saying they're good guys, they're bad guys. We see the Pharisees driving Jesus out the synagogue. We see them testing him. We see them plotting to kill him on occasion. But there are other Pharisees that are inviting him to dinner, not with the aim of tripping him up. And actually, we know in Luke 13, when I mentioned that King Herod wanted to kill Jesus, we only know that because the Pharisees are warning Jesus. So I don't want to get bogged down with whether the Pharisees were goodies or baddies or what their motives were. But actually, what we do see here in this passage is that Pharisees are for some reason trying to dampen Jesus down. They're trying to dampen down the praise of Jesus. And actually, what we see here, and we see time and time again throughout the Gospels, is that many of the Pharisees have just got their priorities wrong they're so desperate to see the Messiah that they were expecting, that they were anticipating, like Si mentioned last week, that actually they miss who Jesus really is. They miss that he is the Messiah. They miss that Jesus' hour is now coming and that he's there to fulfill his purpose on earth. That he doesn't come, as we said, to be a military leader, but he comes to battle instead, death and Satan. That he comes in gentleness and humility, yet gloriously, but they dismissed him because he wasn't their expectation of what a Messiah should be. And they said to, they call out to Jesus and they say, teacher, rebuke your disciples. They once again are trying to downplay the cries of the crowds. But actually, Jesus, as I said earlier, isn't king of all creation, isn't he? And Jesus' response is, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. All of creation, even stones, are here to declare the majesty of Jesus and to point to the creator God. Chris and I, um, we are mid-30s. I would like to say early 30s, but Chris says we're mid-30s. But actually, we've really gotten into gardening recently. I don't know what happened. We just woke up and thought, flowers are amazing. We're going to start growing things. We just had a boring square garden and a trampoline, and we've got pots everywhere now. It's, it's, but it's really fun. Vicky Purvey once told me, actually, when you hit 40, something happens. You wake up... And you love gardening. So I always sort of mocked her. But actually, if you ever need some wisdom, Vicki Pervey is your lady, because clearly she is correct. But we're really into it. And actually, just the joy of planting a seed and seeing it grow is so, it, Philip is nodding, it's so exciting. And looking at like the way a root system forms or the way that a petal forms, and actually every flower is different. And to me, that just tells of the beauty of creation and beauty of the God that created me. And it might be different. You might look at a mountain. You might go for a walk in a wood and just see the beauty of creation and beauty of the God that created it. But if that's true of a petal or a bit of bark or a mountain, whatever that is for you, how much more is that true of us? Because we are his people that are made in his image. We are created to worship him and made for worship. It's an innate part of us. That is the whole purpose of our being. Our worship is to include every part of our lives. And that means that we will stand out. It means that we will look different to the world around us. If you want to read more on worship, Chris did a blog recently, a couple of weeks ago, that I found really good. I have to say that because I'm his wife, but I did. I really enjoyed it. I found it really helpful just to think, am I I living a life that is just worshipping Jesus in every area? So, lives of complete surrender to God will mean that we are different. The Pharisees are trying to dampen down the praises of Jesus. And in complete contrast, we need to be people that radiate Jesus to the world around us. Every fibre of our being will look different if we are properly following Jesus. At the moment, our culture is the polar opposite of that, isn't it? Actually, we will look different in how we conduct our relationships our lives, our morals, our ethics, the way we try and raise our kids, the way that we run our homes, it will all look different, the way we act at work or at college. They will be different because the world is so different. And actually it's longing for the truth and the hope of the gospel. And that leads me really nicely to my third point, my final point, which is just to spend some time looking at the disciples this morning. The disciples in this account They called out in the crowds and they said, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory on the highest. We need to be people that are calling out the praises of God. Now, I'm going to say this next bit cautiously because Chris and I did have some debate. But I would argue here that Jesus' disciples in the account, they kind of wander into town and they attempt to steal a donkey. I say that cautiously because I don't want to get into any trouble. And I'm not actually sure. Chris and I debated whether it was theft. I would argue in my modern black and white mindset that if you go into town and you start untying someone's donkey and you only tell them what you're doing when they ask you why you're taking it, that that could count as theft. Also not sure. None of the commentators talked about the culture of that. So I don't know how true that is. If you're a lawyer or a theological scholar, you can come and... Correct me later. But actually, I didn't want to Google it either. I thought that might be really dangerous. So (laughs) I'll leave that to you. But actually, my maybe my point needs to be twofold. So firstly, don't steal things, because I'm pretty sure the Old Testament is is okay, is is clear on that. We don't steal. Um, So Jesus will not be okay with us taking things in the name of the Lord, unless, you know, No, it's not. But the main point is actually that the disciples here didn't question Jesus. They didn't say, well, why do you want me to take the donkey? Why do you want me to do that? How do you want me to do that? They just trusted what God's word was. They trusted what God had asked him to do. And the fruit of that was that they were obedient to him. They did that. They acted on what Jesus had said. They had spent enough time following him. They'd seen his heart for people, his compassion, They watched what he was doing and they understood who he was and they knew that he could be trusted with their lives and with what he was telling them to do. And I was really challenged, is that true for us today? You know, we've seen Jesus' miracles. We've got the word of God to live by. We live in relationship with Jesus and we've got the Holy Spirit within us that if you know Jesus today will testify to the truth of all of those things. And actually, we've got everything that Anna said last week, which I found really helpful. Just we've got everything we need in the Bible to live a life that pleases God and that honours him. Do we fully trust God, though, with our lives? Do we fully trust that what God says in the Bible about an area is right? Are we willing to be changed by God's word? Are we willing to listen to it, to submit to what it says when the world and the culture around us says different? In our finances, do we trust Jesus with them completely? Do we give him the very best, the first fruits, not just the kind of change, the loose change that's left in our account at the end of the month? And actually, if we've got anything left in the end of our account at the end of the month at the moment, we are doing very well, aren't we? Life is really hard. Perhaps it's your job security, if that's up in the air. Are you trusting that God will provide when you need him to and provide what you need him to? Because he's promised to do that. Perhaps it's health concerns. Are you trusting that Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light and that he is in control? And these, it's very easy to say, isn't it? And I know that I'm saying this, but actually, um, I don't mean it in a flippant way. But actually, these are the truth of God's word and they will change our lives. In our relationships, are we seeking to honour Jesus? being patient with our family, with our friends. I definitely am not being patient with my family (laughs) because that's the reality of life. But actually, are we seeking to be people that are quick to forgive? Are we seeking to be people that want unity? Because Jesus tells us to, because he's done it for us already and he's forgiven us so much. And actually, do we hold the amazing you know, um, material possessions that we've been given and that we have so freely in the West, holding them lightly because we know actually the future hope and eternal hope that we've got in Jesus will be far greater and more glorious than that new iPhone that we're desperate for or sofa or car or games console or whatever that looks like for us. When uh, When Jesus gave that word to the disciples to go out and get the cult, just as he said the cult was there, they trusted him and miraculously God provided. Can we honestly say that our lives reflect the same level of trust and openness to God's leading? These, these circumstances, they were unexpected for the Pharisees. The Pharisees weren't looking for this kind of leader. But actually the disciples wouldn't necessarily have been either. In contrast to the Pharisees, we see that the disciples recognised Jesus for who he was, and actually that is so crucial for us as well, isn't it? In a society where the kind of modern the culture and what we're told is to, um, we can believe what we want. We the truth is how things feel to us. That the truth and the outlook that we have on life is the right one, and if someone has a different opinion, then they must be wrong. It's never us. We can think who we want, think what we want, be who we want to be. And actually, if someone's offended, then it's their issue. And we just, get, we just dismiss that and we cut them out. It's their problem, not ours. That's the view of the world, but it's not the view of the Bible. And it's not the view Jesus has, thankfully, for me. And it's not the same for you. Actually, the disciples don't approach Jesus like that either, do they? Their truth is focused around who Jesus was and who Jesus is today should be our focus. So because the disciples knew him, they were really quick to honour and worship him. They have relationship with him. They knew that he was the Messiah. So for us today, many of the stories and the accounts of Jesus and what he did, they're not comfortable stories, are they? People in the world don't take kindly to them. Actually, they never promise us an easy life, don't promise us a comfortable life. They don't promise us life of extravagance or riches or wealth. Actually, Jesus counts the cost of following him as high. He has a high view of high holiness. He calls us to take up our cross. He doesn't promise an easy life or a simple fix to something. He promises a life of toil and a life of servanthood, and actually a lot times hardship because of following him. But when we take time to know, Jesus as he truly is, the Jesus of the Bible, the one who we can enjoy relationship, that is closer than any other person. When we know the real Jesus, not the kind of nice, watered-down version that you're going to get in our e-lessons, not the kind of bigoted, uh, outdated version that social media tries to give or certain um, things in the media will try and portray, but Jesus, the Son of God, begotten of the Father, Jesus who is equal and in perfect union with God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. The Jesus who, through him, all things were made. Jesus who is fully God and yet fully man. Jesus who came to live a perfect life. Who was perfect in patience, in gentleness, in humility. Who was full of grace and mercy. The compassionate Jesus who was humble and obedient to death. He suffered. At the hands of the Romans, the most awful and agonizing death for us. The Jesus who rose from the dead, who's now seated in heaven at the right hand of God the Father. The Jesus who will one day return to earth to judge the living and the dead. He will reign forever in righteousness and in holiness. And the Jesus who one day everyone will bow before in glory. The Jesus whose kingdom will have no end when we know Jesus for who he is, it's actually our joy and our privilege to worship him, to be welcomed and enjoy relationship with him freely through nothing that we can do or earn. It's our honour to give our whole lives in worship before him, to serve him with everything that we've got. As we respond, we're going to have a, a time of worship. I'd like to ask the worship team to come back up. And if I could ask us to stand as well. As I was preparing, I found it so interesting that um, the, obviously this uh, Jesus's entrance into Jerusalem is mentioned in all four of the Gospels, but it's only in the Gospel of Luke that we read that actually the, it, we're told the disciples put the saddle, this the coats over Jesus over the colt like a saddle, and then they put Jesus on it. The other three just say Jesus got on the colt. But this one says that they put the disciples put Jesus on the colt. <coughs> And actually, they then um, joyfully begin worshipping. The the disciples chose to worship Jesus and took the initiative to put him in a place of honour as they put him on the cult. They served him, they were obedient to him, and then they worshipped him. Shall we let that this morning be our model? What does it look like for you today to be honouring Jesus in every area of your life, over everything in your life? Or perhaps over everyone in your life? Is there areas in your life that you, need, you know that Jesus doesn't have access to and he needs to have full reign over? You know where he deserves to rule over it and he doesn't actually i felt for somebody here as we respond that um god was you you were you know in your heart that actually finance has been an issue that you've always trusted god with but the last year or so has with the cost of living has just been really hard for you and you've just realized that you've just taken control back because actually you're really frightened and you're really worried about your finances but god is saying that what he god is just yeah saying he would like you to release that control back to him and as you do so Give that fear and that worry of having to have enough money, having to provide for everyone, um, back to him. He will take that fear back from you. His burden—it's not your burden to carry. It's his burden because he promises that he will provide. So, um, someone here who, yeah, you just know that you used to really trust him, and you've you've kind of taken that control back on finance. And he just wants you to just really commit that again to him and give that fear and that worry over to him. Finally, perhaps you might. Have um, not really. You don't really know Jesus, actually. You've not had the chance to um, ask anyone. You've not really had the chance to get to know this Jesus that I'm talking about. And if that's you, um, I would love to talk to you. Uh, si, who was up earlier, and any of the other elders would love to speak to you. And we're running an alpha course where you can just do just that next month. You can ask those questions. You can take time to understand why we're so passionate about Jesus and why we... Um, we choose to surrender our whole lives to him but actually I'd just like to respond quietly and worship before we hand over to Chris and just submit our lives afresh to God once more